0: There's a line in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's popular in Alcoholics Anonymous, don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. The same point, and I kind of said the 21st century big data version of that is don't compare your Google searches to other people's Instagram
1: posts. That's one of the best pieces of advice you can get in this sometimes overwhelming, hyper-comparative social media world. It may be difficult to pull back, to resist, to take a breath, but we hope you will sit back and give that one some real consideration. Stop comparing your insides to other people's outsides. They are not the same. We are all individuals.
0: We all have unique talents and abilities. We all come from different contexts. To compare me to yours without knowing really what your context is, is a recipe for disaster. Just keep in mind that we are all human. And with that,
1: we want to welcome you to Behavior Grooves. My name is Kurt Nelson. And I'm Tim Houlihan. In this episode, Kurt and I are grooving on the very topic that you just heard Seth Stevens Davidovitz's observation that our public and private personas are very, very different. Seth is the author of Everybody Lies, and we hope you check out the previous episode where you can hear the complete interview with him. Here in our grooving
0: session, Tim and I will groove on what we learned from our discussion with Seth, have a free-flowing conversation, and talk about whatever else comes into our Everybody Lies But Tim and Kurt's brains. (laughs) I
1: like that. I love that. I think that that's an important foundation to, to, to lay that everybody lies? Yes, that we are the only two
0: honest people in the entire world and that everybody else is a lying, you know, piece of shit. There you go. <laughs> no, that's not it at all. We know that. What? You just you just said it. That that's that's yeah. truth. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a lie, Tim. We do lie. You and I both lie. We everybody lies and sometimes we lie and we don't even realize we're lying. It it's one of those
1: factors I think that is just crazy when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, I I think you're right. And psychologists have known this for a while, that that way we answer surveys doesn't always uh, line up with our behavior. Uh, <laughs> right? Duh. That's the understatement of the year
0: right there. Yeah. How we answer surveys doesn't line up with our behavior. Well, we know yeah. that. We know there's a certain amount of falsification and, uh, you know, trying to understand what is the intent of the the survey or what do people want from that survey, particularly as we're thinking about it from an organizational perspective, surveying your employees, surveying your consumers. A, they don't always know. And so they have to make some idea up and kind of rationalize what is that appropriate thing. And B, sometimes they just don't want to share some of that stuff because... You know, it might look make them look bad, and even if it's anonymous, they're not going to necessarily believe that because hey, everybody lies, and you might be lying about if this is an anonymous survey or
1: not. Well, uh, the Google data, the Spotify data, those are observed behavioral pieces of data. Uh, a bunch of years ago, I did some work with Maytag, and it was really interesting. They were they were introducing these very new. High image-looking washers and dryers, you know, clothes washers and clothing dryers, very stylish, and they were much more expensive mm-hmm. than than the other ones. We, of course, they did this uh, standard uh, focus groups and asked people what they thought. And of course, people were like, no, they're just way too expensive. And I don't care what my what my clothes washer looks like; it's in the basement. You know, it doesn't matter what it looks like. And so then they said, well, let's let's place. A couple dozen of these in people's homes and see what happens. And then they went back and talked to those people where they replaced and they said, oh man, this is the best thing ever. Cause I get to call my neighbors and they come over and I get to show them these super cool looking (laughs) clothes washers and dryers. (laughs) And it became a a status thing. Like I've got this really gorgeous looking thing. Like it doesn't really matter, but they made it a big
0: deal. So it's interesting because you Just washers and dryers brings back this idea. So we did a program one time where we offered a series of eight or nine different awards for people who won this big incentive, right? They were pretty... They were a couple thousand dollars in different pieces, and in in those we had a washer and dryer, high end washer oh, and dryer. Oh, that was set, right? the, it was, was an award in it, one of the awards. Wow. And the the director of incentive comp who was running us every year when we ran this for multiple years would be gone. Why do we have that in there? Who would want that? We're going. It's the number one oh. thing that people pick out of all. There was trips. There was you know TVs. No, they picked the high end washer and dryer. It was like always number one or two every year. It was, an it, it was an indulgence. It wasn't because again, if I'm going to go out and purchase a washer and dryer, I'm going to feel, that, rem- like, you know, hey, I don't can't spend. $1,200 on a, on the washer and another $1,300 on this fancy dryer. But hey, if it's an award, uh, I'll take it. So again, we don't even, you know, we, we can't assume we know things uh, about what people are going to do. And if you surveyed people on that, I bet they would have said, nope, don't put a washer and dryer in there. But that's what they wanted. <laughs> that's the, they were lying to themselves, even. And that's that's a key piece of this. And this is this is an interesting part. So again, I, I like this concept of using Google, Spotify, these actual behavioral aspects in order to look at people's real behavior versus their stated behaviors. And sometimes I think that we don't even necessarily know what it is. And so I think in Google, we trust Google. So we're exploring ideas and we're we're looking at things and we're trying to figure things out. And we don't want to ever let other people know that about us, that we're unsure and maybe looking at things or particularly if anything might have a negative, you know, light that gets shined on us. That would not be a good thing. So
1: I have, I have two questions for you. One is to what degree does context matter for this particular aspect of lying? Like, are we more willing to lie? And why are we more willing to lie in some contexts than in others? And the second what is back to our conversation with Shankar Vedantam. To what degree are these things that Seth calls lies sort of useful delusions for us? No. To what degree is it is it possible that they might actually be kind of helping us just get along?
0: I'll answer the second question first because I'm not sure about the context piece, so I'll have to think about that while I'm talking. Um, But I think there is an aspect of these useful delusions that we put a persona out there because we think that is going to generate positive impact for us, right? The the idea that we, we kind of put out the Facebook, or Instagram life that we live that the pictures that we we put out there are on our vacation or when our kid wins an award or yeah. you know when you're doing something fun we don't put the pictures of the shitty crappy things that are going on in our life but that's because we we need to project we want to project that we are successful because we know that when we project that success success may come back to us, right. and and we don't want to have people think poorly of us, and we want people, we,
1: we like that esteem aspect that comes with it. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I have nothing to add to that. I think that that's a great explanation. So
0: <laughs> The context piece, though, like context of lying, and, you know, we, we talked with Kelly Paxton, which isn't necessarily uh, apples to apples in this, but Kelly was talking about embezzlement. And talking about context and how the context of embezzlement that people are more likely to embezzle within certain contexts. And I think that same thing can be applied to lying. And that is, we're going to lie to save face more often than than not, right? It's It's more likely to lie if we are trying to save face than if we were in a situation where we didn't. Um, I think it's
1: those are types of contexts that are going to be important when we think about this. Maybe a subset of the context discussion is the messenger uh, and the message. Like, how right? Mm. I, I think back to our discussion with Steve Martin and Joe Marks. Uh, when it comes to w- how comfortable we are with living with lies from other people, from messengers who we we have something that we want from them. And, and we're willing to um, suppress our judgment about the lie in exchange for something else. And we may even repeat their lies <laughs> yes, because yes.
0: that gains some. So we know yes. that there is a lie going on, or it's, at least we don't, as you said, maybe we don't explore it. We don't necessarily know if it's a lie or not, but we, we don't even take the effort to, to look at that because we want to be part of this team, of this tribe, and make sure that we have that we signal to the other people, other members of this group that we are part of the in-group yeah. and that thus we are towing to the the line that the the group states, even if that is lying, even if that has been shown to be a lie, then you can justify it. That's the interesting piece from, I think, the, Steve and Joe's work is that even when it's, yep, th- yep they definitely lied, but I'm okay with that because... And there's always that because, because they move forward our agenda, because it wasn't that big of a deal, because of X. You always make an excuse on the back end when that messenger that you, yeah. you know, put up on that pedestal lies. And I think that's an interesting concept because does that apply to us as well? Like, can we justify our lies to others because, that it it forwarded my agenda. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that big of a lie. It didn't hurt anybody.
1: It was, you know, you can always do the because part of that. And I think that's it could be the macho male college student that that tells his friends. uh, Sure. I, you know, I had to buy, you know, six dozen condoms last week, you know, because I was (laughs) I've been so sexually active. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yes.
0: (laughs) That was the best. One of the best things that that seth brought up is this what was it male the state that they bought 1.6 billion billion condoms women 1.1 billion but when you look at the actual sales it's oh 600 (laughs) million so all right multiply the time of uh you know that we're you know sexual you know aspects by three for those men you know that's how it uh, which is probably pretty pretty <laughs> accurate, right? Yeah.
1: Especially in Olympic villages. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's uh, talk a little bit about the idea that where you're born basically influences your entire life. That, which is sad, oh, man. right? It really is a sad
0: statement, but the reality of it is very very true. This idea that hey, your zip code is going to impact the zip code that where you, you are born and live, right? Is going to impact your outcome in life is, and it's just quantifiably demonstrated. And it's hard for people, it would be very, you'd have to be lying if you were saying, well, that's not true because of the data that's.
1: Yeah, I wanted to call attention to some work done by Melody Goodman. She is a professor of public health at Washington University in St. Louis in 2014, she went back and looked at these adjacent neighborhoods, uh, adjacent zip codes in the city of St. Louis, literally separated by a street. So, you know, one, one side mm-hmm. of the street was one zip code. The other side of the street was was an, an, another zip code. And in one of those zip codes, 99% of the people that live there are black and only 5% have bachelor's degrees. And in the, the adjacent zip code, uh, only 5% are black and 67% of those people have bachelor's degrees. And you think about the impact that that's going to have on your entire life. And and she extrapolates it into public health because the cost mm-hmm. of healthcare for those people, what they consume in healthcare across their lives is significantly greater in the mostly black neighborhood. And you think that's that's a real cost to society. It's a real cost to our entire insurance system and, and medical system.
0: Well, we talked with Johannes Haushofer. Haushofer, uh, yeah. S- Haushofer, yeah. thank you. And th- about, you know, just this poverty aspect and how poverty creates all these negative impacts. And again, you look at zip codes and you look at the various different, even separated by a street, I can I can probably guarantee that the, the average income of those two different areas were vastly different. I mean, if you look at five percent bachelor degrees versus sixty-seven yeah. percent, you can probably extrapolate out who's gonna be the richer neighborhood. Yep. And so again, the the aspect of what that does to our cognition, what that does to our different pieces and various different aspects of it. So I think the interesting piece here is that that Seth even talked about is look how you surround who you surround your your kids with. So not even just you and your parenting style. So you can do the best job that you can, but you need to make sure that the people that you're hanging out with, which I think is part of this zip code aspect. So look, if you're in one of those zip codes, look for ways to bring in people into your kids' lives that are outside of that zip code that are successful, particularly, and he talked about the, you know. Um, girls who, if they see role models, these women who are successful in science or engineering, you know, any of those STEM areas, you know, that aspect of having those friends is significantly uh, correlated with the, the likelihood of those girls going into those areas further on, which if you think about it is just
1: crazy, but it makes sense. Absolutely. I, again, I've got nothing to add to that except a big "Oh my gosh!" We really need to do a better job of uh, parenting with this frame, and I think that that's a great opportunity yeah. as uh, as parents to to walk away with that.
0: And I think, like I mentioned in the episode, I'm sorry, but you're just not coming over anymore, Tim, because I, I need to set a good example for my kids. I'm sorry.
1: I, I, you I think you're right. I, I totally support it. I will absolutely be a bad influence. I mean, a, you know, a, a now, musician? Now, we can
0: bring your wife over all the time. So maybe you get to get to come over because you're, you are um, you know, kind of associated with her, but I'll put you out in the garage. And and, and have, I won't, and, I won't see your children. You no, know, you'll, you'll be like, oh, no, no. Tim's over there. He's he's doing some, exactly. some something up out there outside. Don't don't go out. I there. totally support yeah. that. No, they,
1: I, they don't need they don't need an <laughs> influence from a ne'er do well musician, that's for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, but I thought that was really fascinating. It's uh, so again, from an application perspective. So, how do we do this? How do we how do we take this information that is really sad from its perspective? And what can we do about it? So, A, I think we can look at things of how do we eliminate some of that poverty and making sure that we have policies in place that help in doing this. And we talked a little bit about UBI and some of the past episodes and various aspects of that. But I think there's also this aspect of, all right, if you are in a situation and you know that, what can you do to get your kids uh, to have role models in their lives that maybe are what you want them to uh, ascribe to? this idea that they can become somebody. And so you gotta put those people in their lives. And if you do that, they're more likely to believe that. And it's not just you, it's the people that you surround
1: yourself Which with. Which so. might cause you to think about our conversation with John Levy and the kind of influence that you wanna have in your life might not be about you know how you can advance your own career, but how you can connect your kids with people who will be good role models.
0: Well, and for those of us who have that privilege, right, we are probably everybody who's listening to this podcast, maybe not everybody, but most people who are listening to this podcast are probably in one of the more privileged zip codes. And so what can you do to reach out to, to make that happen? As one of my friends said, look, we have to do more. We have to make a concerted effort to go into these neighborhoods that are, you know, more financially distressed or socially, you know, inactive, and just frequent them. go in and 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 go to the restaurants there. Go to the shop at those stores. make yourself present. Get to know the people yeah. that are in those areas. it's it shouldn't be up to them. It should be up to us. Remember Dolly Chu, who talked about we have the tailwind behind us. And you
1: know what? It would be nice to be able to get the tailwind behind everybody. So well said. Well said. We did talk a lot about dating with Seth, and so I think that it's worth at least touching on this. Not, you know, you, you and I aren't in the dating pool, so that's not super relevant. But thank God. But I, 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 will, I will say, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But I will say this: that when he said, um, "Here's here's the things." that you can do to improve your likelihood of having a good relationship. He said, cast a wide net. Don't overemphasize the the shiny traits look for connections, especially ones that aren't obvious. I I really love that one. And then don't underrate our psychological traits, you know? And I thought, wow, actually that feels like a really good mindset to have when it comes to finding your groove, like living your life. I think you
0: are, nailing it that is absolutely true right cast a wide net who are you interacting with who are the people that you associate yourself with cast a wide net in the books that you read in the television stations that you watch in the types of information that you gather and don't just look at the what's popular that shiny trait aspect of it i think is, is again those are fantastic. Things. And and
1: look for the connections that aren't uh, that aren't always so obvious. I think that this is a really tricky one and a really cool one. When he was talking about this, it got me thinking about how I got connected with my wife, with Katie. And in fact, she and I talked about it last night. This idea that there are aspects about our relationship that really really work, that really cement us that aren't just on the surface. That are, are mm. that are things that as we were getting to know each other, we saw these deeper connections that are that are more meaningful. And I think that this is something that I'd like to replicate in other aspects of my life. I mean, it, it, certainly, and and Kurt, you can speak to this for your for yourself. But the connections that you and I had were for years like we were colleagues. You know, w- working yeah. together it was it was easy, great working together. But then you know, we started doing some stuff that was more closely associated where we really had to partner up on stuff. And then, yeah. and that kind of led to, wait a minute, we have a deeper love for behavioral science than the average bear, yeah. right? <laughs> and that that, that yeah. really helped. Yeah. So I, I think that that's kind of cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was really cool. I used to respect you, and then I got to know you better, and then it does, was, you know, yeah, that
1: was a, that went out the window. <laughs> joking, joking. That's guys,
0: people don't write in. I know I'm kind of mean to Tim, but he knows it's in this love and jealousy totally, and different pieces. Totally. But this is, but you you bring up a really good point, right? What are those unique aspects? Those ties that keep us together that might not be so apparent. I think also the interesting piece about that: look for the, especially the non-obvious connections can be thinking about who are the people that we want in our lives. And we always think, oh, I want to have that powerful person or that, you know, author or whatever it would be. It's kind of going back to some of the John Levy things that we've we've talked about. And you know what? Maybe some of the connections are more people that we just enjoy hanging out with that make us have a better perspective on life. Again, thinking about what are the connections that I can make into some of those neighborhoods that are not in my zip code. That are in a in a less desirable zip code. And can I go out there and make a difference in other people's lives? Absolutely. So, And the last piece, though, that that you talked about there was the psychological traits, and I think that's really key, right? We we overlook how good relationships are, and particularly in the dating piece, because you're looking at all of those outward. You know, how much do they make? What's their job? how do they, how well do they look? How attractive are they? You know, what kind of car they drive? All that, all that outward stuff. But it's really that stuff, at least after 20 plus years of marriage, you know, that goes out the door. And it really is the things about who that person is and their mindset and how they show up and how you show up with them. Um, You know, go back to what was the jerry Maguire thing you know you complete me or whatever that silly line was but there's something to that right it's like if you are psychologically compatible there's some positives to that and take a look for that make sure that you're trying to do that not just in your dating scene but in the people that you hang out with and your business
1: relationships as well okay lastly we could just talk a little bit about about music (laughs) Because it was pretty, pretty damn fun to talk about this. I mean, Seth's stuff certainly reinforced a lot of work that we've already talked about. Dan Leviton's work on this is your brain on music. You know, we know that 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 period from a neuroscience perspective is when the, those ages just absorb new music and those imprints last forever. And I love that. And, and I love that we have additional data that reinforces that now from from Spotify.
0: Yeah, that that was fascinating, right? What was it that women, typically it's that around 13 years of age and boys, it's around 14, obviously showing how much (laughs) women, you know, mature sooner than than men do still to this day. But the idea that. I always find interesting about this is, okay, so these are averages and these are, these are facets that go into this, but what are the exceptions and, and are there rules around these exceptions? And that was some of the research I would love to, to see be done. I don't, I don't know if it's been done, but if it could be explored, that would be great. Like, I think, you know, Seth himself in one of his articles talked about, well, why do I like Bob Dylan and, you know... These other, yeah, the, you know, yeah. uh, Coen Cohen, right? yeah, yeah. and Bruce Springsteen, they're not in my age group that I was listening to at those times, but those are my favorites. And I could, I would probably say I'm the same way. I don't, you know, yes, when I was 14 years old, I was listening to ACDC and, uh, you know, some of the other heavy metal rock bands that I don't, I mean, I'll, I'll listen to them occasionally, but I, they're not, they're not top of oh, my playlist oh, anymore. And Good. Yeah, you know, I wasn't listening at fourteen. I wasn't listening to the '80s alt rock or the more folky stuff that I'm listening to. That I still listen to.
1: I think that that's interesting.
0: Again, I wonder if there's personality aspects of that. I wonder if there are facets of what was going on in your life in those those times and what were the more vivid areas of your memory of of what childhood was. Is is childhood around or that teenage kind of? You know, maybe it just means I matured later. That
1: assumes that you've matured,
0: <laughs> which is a big
1: assumption. I will, I will, I will grant you that. It's a big assumption. There you go. I, I wanted to point out that in, in on our new website, we have um, a sort of a database of all of the music that all of our guests have talked about, yep. which is kind of cool. And I saw that nine of our guests have found have made mention of Hamilton, of the Hamilton oh. soundtrack that's a lot. I think that that's kind of cool, actually. yeah what is that like three percent of our guests? Yeah, I, I know. but uh, but still, <laughs> we asked them what the, you know about their what's on their playlist. and there's a lot of artists out there. There's a lot of music out there. And to think that Hamilton came up that much, I thought was a lot. I think you're a- absolutely right, right. It's not one that you would
0: have necessarily wouldn't have guessed it predicted, no. right? No. So no. if we would have done a a survey in advance of what do you think will be you know who what artists or musical influences are going to show up hamilton probably would not have been one that we would have guessed which is interesting yeah. so what is it about hamilton right that that does that right. right what is the what is the hamilton influence on on people i don't know it's fascinating
1: before we end our discussion on music, I just want to just double down on our shout out to Elizabeth Kim, our old pal who we haven't talked to in a while. And we've got to get her on the show because I can imagine that she's got tons of insights from Spotify and mm-hmm. um, we need to we need to to talk to her. So, yes, thank, thank you to Elizabeth for for supporting Seth in getting the data that uh, that helped him come up with this stuff. Fantastic. So shall we wrap it up? Yeah, that, that actually sounds good. Uh, there's probably a thousand things more that we could talk about, but we can leave those chords for another song. Chords for another <laughs> song. Nicely
0: played, Mr. <laughs> Tim. Nicely played. Uh, and to our listeners, thanks very much for sitting in on our grooving episode and our, for our conversation with Seth. We hope our conversation brought some fresh light to the ways that you might be thinking about how you frame your public and personal life. and other aspects.
1: Yeah. And I can't help but doing a little promo here for our next episode, Kurt, because I want to let you know, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to use the words very and special more times than you can bear. Okay. Because because I, I just want to say that what's coming up next week is a very special episode with a very special guest who did some very special psychological research 50 years ago. Okay. 50 years ago. Oh my gosh. Okay. So
0: what, Tim, what was so special about this 50 year old research that seems super old, like almost (laughs) as old as me?
1: Come on. Oh, 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 that was just so bad. <laughs> it was just so bad. In fact, I'm just going to let you just you just go ahead and explain it. You're so very <laughs> special. <laughs> you just go ahead and tell the listeners. All right. All right. So excellent. So we're talking
0: about the famous Stanford prison experiments that uh, started 50 years ago, uh, actually next week so that was when when the the experiments went so if you haven't heard of those you probably read about them in psych 101 they are just across the board and of course we're talking with professor philip zimbardo who designed and executed these highly controversial experiments and they've even gotten more controversial as time has gone on it's really amazing that he did them and the things that he learned about power and position and that we're still studying those aspects today and still having kind of different perspectives on this and and what does the context of how that work impact the, the world of power and abuse and variety of other things. So in our next episode, we're going to share our conversation with Professor Zimbardo or Dr. Z as he told us to call him. Um, yep. And we'll be discussing his thoughts on the work that is now 50 years old. Isn't that kind of cool?
1: It really is. You won't want to miss out on the remarks from this amazing researcher. He's really quite amazing. But for now, thanks for listening. And we hope that this week you go out and find your groove.